was born on the day of Pentecost. You know that. 120 believers were in the upper room. And the Holy Spirit fell upon them and filled them. And they came stumbling out of the room, prophesying under the power of God. Peter got up and preached. And 3,000 people were added to the church that day. But it's easy to miss the surrounding context. Um, the day of Pentecost was a day that had been celebrated in Jerusalem for thousands of years. It was a major festival. This is not a perfect analogy, but you know how people from all over the world will go to New Orleans for Mardi Gras? Never been to New Orleans, weren't born there, just, but, but because of the event, the festival, people from all over will go. Or, you know, people from all over uh, Texas will come to San Antonio for Fiesta, or people from all over San Antonio, never even heard of Poteet, will go to Poteet for the Strawberry Festival. <laughs> there was a festival that attracted many different races, many different cultures, many different ages. And that happened to be the time and the day when the Holy Spirit fell. And so Peter gets up and he's preaching, but he's preaching to a captive audience in the market square. And the audience he was preaching to happened to be multicultural, happened to be multi-generational, many different ages. So when those 3,000 were added to the church that day, it was a multicultural 3,000. It was people of many different backgrounds, many different cultures. But as the church began to expand and as the days of the early church began to wear on, a troubling trend happened because um, God meant for the church to be inclusive and multicultural. And the church of Jesus Christ was having great success among the Gentiles, non-Jewish people. But it was hitting a roadblock among the Jews. Part of the reason is the Jews being descendants of Abraham. The Jews knowing that when God made the original covenant with Abraham in the Old Testament, that God said, I'm going to make a new nation, a new nationality, a new group of people out of your loins, Abraham. Knowing that they had been given the original promise and knowing the promise included their nationality, the Jews had a tendency to tie their faith expression and their faith experience to their race, their culture, and their background. Some people still do that today. They don't believe it's God if it's not coming from their race, or their culture, or their political persuasion. You know, it doesn't matter how good the preaching is. If the preacher's of the wrong uh, political affiliation, you can't hear anything that he has to say, you know. And so while many of the Jews began to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ slowly but surely, which that was a hurdle in and of itself, because the Jews were so focused on the law of Moses, the sacrifice system and Judaism, it was a challenge to get them to embrace faith in Jesus Christ for salvation versus trusting in the law. And, uh, but slowly but surely, many of the Jews did begin to get over that hump and accept faith in Christ. But what they could not accept 
was that at the same time that God was saving Jews, he was also saving Gentiles. They couldn't accept that the same God that was filling them with his Holy Spirit was also reaching over to these nasty, filthy, no background having, no cultural understanding of God's history, these Gentiles. And, and they didn't like it. And that's a character test, you know, how you respond when God blesses people you don't like. To give you a, a sense of how big an issue this racial and cultural tension was in the early church, I know I'm taking a sidestep. I'll lose the service here for most people, but I just have to do it. Um, Acts chapter 10, verse 34 in the Passion Translation. I want you to read between the lines here, and I want you to follow me on this if you can. The apostle Peter, as powerful as he was, did not want to go and preach to the Gentiles. All right? As experienced as Peter was, as much as he had been around Jesus, he did not want to go preach to the Gentiles. But the Holy Spirit told him to go preach in the house of a Gentile man named Cornelius. Peter thinks, oh, it's just going to be Cornelius. I'll, I'll just go and give him a little Bible study and I'll get out of the way. When Peter gets there, Cornelius, the Gentile, he was an Italian man, the Bible says, his house was packed with Gentiles, all hungry to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Peter didn't want to do it, and God had to give him a dream and show him something and convict him deeply. And so Peter comes down from the roof where he had the dream, and he begins to open his mouth to speak to these people. And Peter said in verse 34, now I know for certain that God doesn't show favoritism with people, but treats everyone on the same basis. Now, what should shock you is not the truth of that statement. What should shock you is it took Peter to that point in his ministry to be able to say, now I know for a certain. That means that before this moment, he wasn't sure. Maybe God does treat people differently based on their race and their background. He said, now I know for a certain that God doesn't show favoritism with people, but treats everyone on the same basis. Look at verse 35. It makes no difference what race of people one belongs to. Mm. If they show deep reverence for God and are committed to doing what's right, then they are acceptable to him. Verse 36, God sent his word to the Jewish people first, announcing the wonderful news of hope and peace through Jesus, the anointed one, the Lord of all. And you are all well aware of all that began in Galilee and spread through the land of Israel immediately after John preached his message of baptism. Jesus of Nazareth was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit and with great power. Remember, Peter's just, he's just saying this to this house full of Gentile people. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit with great power. He did wonderful things for others and divinely healed all who were under the tyranny of the devil. For God had anointed him. And we apostles were eyewitnesses to all the miracles that he performed throughout the land of Israel. Finally, in Jerusalem, he was crucified on a cross. But God raised him from the dead three days later, allowing him to be seen openly. He didn't appear to everyone, but he appeared to us as chosen witnesses. And he actually ate and drank with us after he rose from the dead. 
Jesus ordered us to preach and warn people that God had appointed him to be the judge of the living and the dead. And not only us, but all the prophets agree in their writings that everyone who believes in him receives complete forgiveness of sins through the power of his name. Now look at verse 4. That was his message. Simple, short message. Look at verse 44. While Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit cascaded over all those listening to his message. And that's beautiful, and we can, we can marvel in that and shout about that. But look at verse 45. The Jewish brothers who had accompanied Peter, you know, to this Gentile's house. Peter, we ain't going to let you go preach over there at that Gentile's house alone. We're going to go with you. The Jewish brothers who had accompanied Peter were astounded. Watch. They weren't astounded at the message. They weren't astounded at the power of the Holy Spirit cascading over everyone who was listening to the word. They weren't, they weren't astounded by the presence of God. They were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on people. So they started arguing because Peter said we should baptize them in the name of Jesus. And they said, you can't baptize a Gentile. Verse 47, verse 47. Peter said, how could anyone object to these people being baptized? For they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he instructed them to be baptized in the power of the name of Jesus, the anointed one. Now, I just read all that. I know it took a while. Just to show you. The intense tension. Peter was the first bishop of the New Testament church. He's the top man, you know. And he's, he's got the tension in him. So you can imagine all of the other churches that were being developed and moving forward during that day were facing this difficulty and this tension. You know, we, we think that, that racial problems are are a relatively new thing and are just an American thing. But, but this demon of racism has been fighting people since the beginning. And, and, and God intended his church to be multicultural. God intended his church to be inclusive, not exclusive. And yet the enemy started, notice what the enemy started fighting right after the day of Pentecost. He started fighting the unity of the church by making the church's focus culture, background, race, demonstration instead of faith. The focus of the New Testament church should always be faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you make the focus of your church anything other than faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you start opening the door to all types of warfare and all types of infighting and all types of difficulty. And, and the church in America is losing its influence. It's losing it by the week because we're making the focus of our ministry so many other different things, but those things do not have the power to attract God's movement in the earth. 
But if you want to take dominion, if you want to see miracles, if you want to see breakthrough, if you want to see your street change and then your neighborhood change and then your region change, and then God use your church to change a city and begin impacting the nation and then begin impacting the world, you have to build on the right foundation. And the foundation is we are people not bound together by race, not bound together by culture, not bound together by politics. We are people that are bound together and unified by one thing. We got faith in what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. We got faith about what the Bible says we can do if we believe in his name. We got faith that though we are guilty sinners, our lives have been washed clean by the precious blood of the spotless Lamb of God who gave himself a ransom for us on Calvary's cross. And because our faith is sealed and centered in that, we stand on the rock. We stand on a sure foundation. We stand with power. We stand with authority. And you would be shocked at how many people will shake their head and amen to that that don't really have that foundation. To the book of Hebrews. When you're studying a book in the Bible, one of the things I hope is a side effect of my ministry is I hope as a side effect of my ministry, you learn to fall in love with your Bible. One of the things when you're studying your Bible, it's not enough to turn to a chapter and, and read a few verses. Uh, that's a simpleton's approach to studying the Bible. You need to know who was the writing addressed to what were the cultural uh, dynamics that were going on at the time? And what was the writer trying to accomplish in his partnership with the Holy Spirit? What was the writer trying to accomplish with what he was writing? So the, the writer of the book of Hebrews, the author is unknown, by the way. Some speculate it was Paul. Some say it was Apollos. Some even say it was John. No one knows for sure, and there's a lot of fancy debates about it that you can read online that I don't have time to acknowledge. But the writer of the book of Hebrews is trying to address this tension in the burgeoning church, this tension between uh, people that had a faith background and, and a cultural experience with God being Jews, and then people who were coming in with no knowledge whatsoever being Gentiles, no background whatsoever. In fact, if they did have a background, it was often idolatrous, worshiping false gods. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to address the division. He's trying to address the schism. We need more of that targeted ministry in America today because we've gotten really good at preaching and moving a crowd. But it's one thing to preach, it's another thing to use ministry and direct it at targeted issues and tear the devil's kingdom down systematically. And, and the writer of the book of Hebrews is not just wanting to preach to this Hebrew Jewish audience, which is who it's addressed to. He's not just wanting to preach to them. He's wanting to tear down that wall of division that they have for their other brothers and sisters in Christ. And he goes about doing it in a brilliant way. Instead of coming in right out and spanking them, he changes the focus 
of, you know, their focus had been background, culture, the law of Moses, uh, the fact that they were more moral and had more uh, premier characteristics than the Gentile. He, he doesn't focus on any of that. Rather, he puts the focus on faith in God. Everybody say faith in God. And he writes to establish that the God of the Old Testament is the same God as the God of the New Testament. And no matter what was accomplished in the Old Testament, all of the great things, the great stories, the great heroes, no matter what happened that was good in the Old Testament, it didn't happen because of their race or their background or their culture or, you know, their uh, premium character. It happened because they had faith in God. Now, when you're trying to convince someone of something that you'll know that they'll disagree with, it helps to butter them up first. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11 Let's, let's, uh, let's look at verse 1 through 3, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 3. Let me get there in mind real quick. He says, now faith. So what he's starting with, he, he's going to carry it the whole way. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, for by faith, the elders, your your elders, your heroes, the one you trace your genealogy back through, the one you've lifted up and, and made such a, an icon out of, it was by faith that they obtained a good testimony. Verse 3, by faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. So now he's going to creation. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Next verse, by faith able. So this is where this guy is starting and this is amazing. He started with creation, and now he's literally taking them back to one of the first two people who were born on the face of the earth. You understand Adam wasn't born and neither was Eve, so Cain and Abel were the first two births that the scripture records. And so he picks the righteous one of them, Abel, and he starts their family tree at Abel. Oh, he's buttering them up. By faith, Abel offered to God more excellent sacrifice than Cain, which... He obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. Now, I'm not going to take you through all of it. This is how Hebrews 11 reads. He, verse 4, he tells them it was faith that made Abel a champion. Verse 5, it was faith that made Enoch a champion. Verse 7, it was faith that made Noah a champion. Verse 8, it was faith that made Abraham a champion. Verse 11, it was faith that made Sarah a champion. Verse 20, it was faith that made Isaac. And 21, Jacob. And 22, Joseph. And 23, Moses. And he, what he's doing is he's telling their story. He's tracking their history. You know, if you read this with a chronological calendar of the events of the Old Testament, it's all in order. He's, he's brilliantly set this up. Now, for those of you that know your Bible a little bit, after Noah and the flood, you know, next really significant thing is Abraham. 
you know, and then after Abraham, the, the next significant thing is the miracle son, Isaac, you know, and then after Isaac, you have Jacob, and then Jacob had 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel, and they have the nation of Israel, and they're preserved in Egypt, and then become slaves. They are there for 400 years, and then God leads them out with a deliverer named Moses. Okay, so if we're tracking chronologically, what would you think the next after Moses would be? The next champion. Who would be the? Joshua, right? You know? But instead of bringing up Joshua, verse 31, from Moses, he goes by faith. I hope you see what the writer's doing. Okay. You start with Abel, you know, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, <laughs> insert. The harlot, Rahab. Now, for the first time, you, you can almost imagine before he got to verse 31, you can almost imagine his audience kind of swelling with pride, you know. Finally, a preacher that gets it. I've been listening to all these preachers preach to all these Gentiles and having all these revivals and, and, and doesn't even know anything about the history, doesn't even know anything about our pedigree and where we came from and what our ancestors went through. And they're listening to him preach in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 30. And they're saying, preach, preacher. I finally found my man of God. Finally found somebody that understands me. Finally found somebody that knows what it's like by faith the harlot Rahab what <laughs> he's insulted his audience because number one in the entire chapter of Hebrews 11 Rahab is the only one mentioned that is not a Jew she's a Gentile and not only is she a Gentile she comes from a heathenistic idolatrous background which means she was an idol worshiper not only is she a Gentile who was an idol worshiper, living in a city of idol worshipers that was so wicked God promised to destroy it, but in a city of wicked people, she's the town prostitute. And I like how he said it because he didn't say, by faith, Rahab. I usually don't introduce myself by my issues. <laughs> you know, we don't do that in society. Hi, my name is Joe. It's nice to meet you. I've had a gambling problem for 12 and a half years. We lost the house and we lost the car last week. We're homeless. What's your name? <laughs> to preserve a little bit of dignity and social decorum, we usually don't wear our problems on our sleeve. You know, Abraham lied twice. He told the same lie twice, but the writer didn't say, by faith, the liar Abraham. <laughs> Covered it up a little bit, by faith, Abraham, you know. But he says, by faith, the harlot or the prostitute Rahab. Seemingly, he wants to flaunt 
her background and her past and her sinful occupation in the face of his readers, almost to say, I've showed you that faith will work for a good person like Abel and an honorable person like Isaac and a strong moral person like Joseph. I've shown you that faith will work on the mountaintop for great people, but faith will also go all the way down to the gutter and pick up the worst person and turn them into the best person because it's not about pedigree it's not about race it's not about culture and it's not about background if you have faith in God oh I feel it now if you have faith in God it doesn't matter what the circumstances were before the faith came if you have faith in God faith will make faith will make a harlot a hero faith will make It'll make, it'll make the difference. And um, it's, it's, it's amazing because um, she had no training. She had no background. She had no mentoring. She had no good raising. She had no good morals. All she had going was she believed in God. And I made the decision to preach this this morning because I know there's about seven people in here that life has been so difficult. All you got going for you this morning is you've got faith in God. Career has gone down the toilet. Family has forsaken. Your heart is broken. You feel like you got more against you than you got for you. And you stumbled into church this morning not knowing what the next month of your life is going to look like. But all you've got left is faith in God. Sometimes in your life, life can be cruel. Sometimes life will strip you and rob you and tear you apart. Sometimes life will leave you in a spot where all you've got going is you got faith in God. And if you're one of those precious few I came to preach to this morning, I tell you, if you still got faith in God, I tell you, if you still got faith in God, God, faith will make. Somebody shout, I believe God. I'll shout it like a church that believes it. Shout, I believe God. Now clap your hands and give your God a praise. I believe God. Been cut down, but I believe God. Lost some things, but I believe God. Got a past I'm ashamed of, but I believe God. Don't know what the future looks like, but I believe God. In Joshua chapter 2, that's where we have to go to find her story. In Joshua chapter 2, after 40 years the second time, being held out of their promise because of unbelief. The second time, uh, the council of Israel and Joshua, they, they send spies in. The, the spies were esteemed men of the tribes of Israel. They had been taught the word of the Lord before they learned their regular schooling. They learned to read by having honey 
dripped over the Torah. And when they would run their thumb across each line of the Torah, they would lick the honey so that they could be taught from an early age that the word of the Lord is sweet. They had participated in every sacrifice season and feast season for all of these years. They had observed the teachings of the great Moses, who Jesus said was the greatest prophet in all of the Old Testament. They had observed the teachings of the rabbis and the members of the Aaronic priesthood. They had observed the faith and the strength of Joshua. They were, they were full of faith. They were strong men. They were leaders, and they were sent in to Jericho to spy out the land, and when they were spying out the land, they were terrified of the military. They were terrified of the walls and they were terrified of the strength and the organization of the city. And they did not know how that God could give them the land that was behind those walls. And while they were there, they, their presence was discovered by the government. And so and so they went to hide and they figured a great place to hide where a lot of men go in and out of would be a prostitute's house. And, and they came in to Rahab's house. And to their surprise, she knew who they were when they got there. Joshua chapter 2 verse 8, when, 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 she, when they came in, first of all, she hit them. She hit them up on the roof, but... But before they laid down, she came up to them on the roof and she said to them, verse 9, I know that the Lord has given you the land. The terror of you has fallen on us and all the inhabitants of the land are faint hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, and whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted and neither did there remain any more courage in any one of us because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath and and. And when you look at the conversation, it wasn't the two boys that had been raised to men hearing the word preached every day and, and learning all of the oracles of God. When you hear the conversation, the faith wasn't coming from the men of God. They were scared to death, hide in the harlot's house. When you read the conversation, the faith was coming from the harlot, which proves that faith will work for good people with good morals, but faith will also work for bad people with depression horrible morals. Faith is no respecter of person. If faith ever gets a hold of you, faith will work down on the inside of you too. And, and, and she was thoroughly convinced. They're scared to death. Will you please hide us? She's thoroughly convinced God's going to tear this whole city down and give it to you. She said, don't be scared of us, honey. We're all scared of you. Side note, the enemy thinks way more of you than you think of yourself. But she's so convinced of God's ability to give them the city 
that she switches her allegiance and betrays her country. Because Rahab has the instinct to know in the Old Testament that faith without works. Coming to church, nodding and clapping without going and putting into place what was said in church. That's dead. Coming to church and nodding and clapping without going and making any changes or adjustments in your lifestyle. Well, that's all just dead stuff. So Rahab, when she had the power. See, at the moment, she's got the power. Let me bother your sensibilities for a minute. Good character and good morals are not necessarily the same thing. You know, good morals, uh, you know, means the old church used to say you don't uh, smoke and you don't chew and you don't run with them that do and, and, you, and, you, and you don't drink and you don't do anything that stinks and you, all, all that kind of stuff. Strict morality, you know, and good character, they're, they're not the same. Character has much less to do with morals and much more to do with how you act and behave when you have power. All right. Um, a lot of people will behave when they don't have the power and they're behaving not because they're good. They're behaving because they don't want to be crushed by the power. But then they get the power. And all of a sudden they turn into a crusher because they have poor character. Some of the people with the best morals in the scripture had the worst character. Rahab may have been poor morally, but she had great character because when she has the ability, she could call the, she could call the government, just lean right out her window and say, hey, they're in here. But she doesn't. She risks her life, the life of her family and her business and her future to switch sides before it looked convenient. Before God gave them the city, before God gave them the power, she perceived by faith that a change was coming and she needed to switch sides. If you really get faith down on the inside of you, faith will tell you when it's time to switch. Faith will tell you when it's time to switch careers. Faith will tell you when it's time to switch your major. Faith will tell you when it's time to switch out of your neighborhood. Faith will tell you when it is time to switch. Faith has a byproduct called discernment. And when you really got faith in God, discernment will kick in and you'll realize I need to move this way in this circumstance and that way and that circumstance and Rahab she got talking all that faith she said you know what I want to make a deal with you she said I will hide you and I will help you get out of this city I'll even go to my government and lie to them and tell them I saw you and that you went out the, the east gate and I'll do all that for you if when God gives you this city and these walls come crumbling down. You promise to save my whole household. If you promise to save my whole family. If you promise to save everybody kin to me. If I can get them in this house. If you'll promise to save them. I'll help you out of this. And what's, what's amazing. The men of God. They had to do it. You know. 
because they needed her. God will put you in a position at some point in your faith walk where you need questionable people. Y'all didn't hear what I said. Maybe I'm not screaming and the organ's not loud enough. God will put you in a position at some point in your faith walk where you need questionable people. Don't look at the morals. Don't look at the background. Don't look at the race. Just check and see if there's any faith. If there's faith in there, everything else may be questionable. But if there is faith, I feel the Holy Ghost. I said, if there is faith in there somewhere, it's faith that ties us together. She was related to them even though she'd never seen them before. Even though they were a different race, a different culture, and a different background. In fact, she was more related to them than she was the people of her own country. Everybody that's skin to you ain't kin to you. When she got around those spies... She said, I found my people. I found my people. You know, it's a great thing in life to live to the point. You, you got to live to the point sometimes where you find your people, you know? And what binds you together may not be that your grandmama and her grandmama used to cook the same things on Sunday afternoon. What binds you together may not be that you both grew up on the same side of town. What binds you together may not even be your same race or cultural experience. I've found out some of the strongest bonds in my life have been developed over the commonality of faith. You know? And so in verse, uh, look at verse 15. Joshua 2, 15. Look at these spies. So, she, or she let them down by a rope through a window. Everybody say her rope. Her, rope. her, window. her window. That was weak. Her rope. Her, rope. her, window. her window. She let them down by a rope through the window for her house. Watch this. Her house was on the city wall. What city are we talking about? Where was her house? Verse 18. And they said, they said, look, we ain't got to keep this oath that we're making you uh, unless when we come into this land, you bind this line of scarlet. In other words, this rope you're letting us down by. In the window through which you let us down. Look at somebody say, out of that same window. Oh, God. <laughs> out of that same window. Listen what they're saying to her. They're saying, okay, we'll make sure your house is saved. But there's two stipulations. You got to use the same rope that you used to help us and put it in this same window. And you got to use this same window you opened up for us. You got to use the same window, which is proof that God pays attention to the windows you open for other people. I'm going to say it again. God pay. I feel like preaching and I need to teach. God pays attention to the windows you open for other people. In fact, it's a spiritual principle that, that when you open up a window for somebody else out of that same window at some point, it may be sooner, it may be later, but out of that same window at some point, something's going to come through for you. When, when you let down a rope for somebody out of that same rope, at some point, something is going to come down for you. 
But we forget about this principle and get discouraged because we've seen ourselves open windows of opportunity for other people and them go through the window and then forget about us. You ever opened up something for somebody that they wouldn't have had if you wouldn't have opened it and they went through it and enjoyed it and then forgot all about the fact that it was you that opened the window? And not only will people forget the windows you open, if you're a generous person, you've probably forgotten all the windows you've opened for other people in your life. But they may have forgotten and you may have even forgotten. But God never forgets a window that you open. They said out of this same window and by this same rope, you're saving us by a window and you're going to be saved by a window. You're saving us by a rope and you're going to be saved by a rope. And I just prophesy to you that all of the windows you've ever opened up for anybody, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a person sows, that shall they also reap. A blessing's coming to your life out of that same render and down that same rope. Give God a praise. Alright, that's all the preaching we're going to do. Alright, no more preaching. So, you know, she 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 hangs the, the Hebrew, you know, the Hebrews come and they, they circle around the city of Jericho and, and for seven days they march, they blow the trumpet, they shout and the Bible says the walls of Jericho fell down flat. Except the little portion of wall. God left a brothel standing. God left a whorehouse standing. Because the whore with no background and no training and no pedigree that wasn't the right race that was from the wrong side of the tracks messed around and had faith in God and her whole house. I said her whole house. That means God had to tell those angels with their sledgehammers every space of the wall except that one. Hallelujah. I get touched when I think about that because I think about all the times destruction came from me and God said everything around it but but not that one. I, I think about all the times destruction came from you, but 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 everything around you was hit, but 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 not not that one. I, I think about my little boy lying in the NICU with people dying on either side of him, destruction all around, but God said everything else but not. In fact, really, that's what our faith is about, right? Our faith is about a thousand falling on one side and 10,000 on the other, but it shall not come nigh you. Why? Because I got faith in the Word, and I got faith in God. I feel somebody's faith growing in this room right now. I got faith in the Word. I got faith in God. Remember, all right, you still remember Hebrews, writer of Hebrews? Can we go back there? 
he set him up with a Gentile harlot to say, if God saved her. You're causing all this tension, cultural, racial, political division in the church of Jesus Christ just as it's getting its legs. And your reason is you have cultural and racial and, and prejudice differences. He said, but look back in your own history. He said, this ain't the first time God saved a Gentile. Now, you want to get real insulting. It's best to do the little insults first. Go back to Rahab. Walls came down and all the Hebrews come marching into Jericho to take over. She survived. The dust settled. But then she got to looking at this uh, tall drink of water. A Hebrew, one of the tribes, and, and his name was Salmon. They got married. A Hebrew married a... And then they had a baby. And they named him Baby Obed. Isn't that cute? Baby Obed. Obed. It's a strange name for a harlot to pick for her child. Obed. Baby Obed grew up. And he met him a nice looking lady. And they had a baby. They named him Jesse. Much cleaner name. Well, sometimes the thing about generational curses, though, is they, they follow you. And uh, Jesse didn't really know why, but he kind of had a bent towards prostitutes, probably because his grandmama was one. So Jesse went and found him a Gentile prostitute and had a baby with her. King David. Now the writer of Hebrews is really insulting him. Because he wants them to know that the greatest king in Old Testament Israel's history. Came from the Lloyds of not one but two Gentile prostitutes. Just to prove the point, it wasn't education. It was faith. It wasn't morality. It was faith. It wasn't the Ten Commandments. It was faith. It wasn't the Ark of the Covenant. It was faith. It wasn't the Bar Mitzvah and the Bat Mitzvah. It was faith. 
It wasn't even Moses. It was faith. It wasn't Abraham. It was faith. It wasn't Elijah. It was faith. It wasn't Jeremiah. It was faith. It wasn't Isaiah. It was faith. And the same faith that was working back then is the same faith that will work for you now. Doesn't matter who you are, what you've been into, how down you are, how broken you are, how hopeless you are. If you have faith in God, faith will bring you out. Faith will pull you higher. Faith will heal your body. Faith will bless your finances. Faith will raise your children out of that mess. Faith! Faith. That's my message. Stand to your feet and give God a praise. you learn one of the, the tactics the enemy will continually revisit to your life is to try to tell you that when it comes right down to it you're just not good enough and goods broad you know you're just not good looking enough or you're just not good enough financially you're just not good enough with your weight, you know? You're just not good enough. You're just not good enough to go for that promotion. You're not good enough to deserve better treatment. You're not good enough to put up boundaries in your life. You're just not good enough. You might as well live like a doormat because that's what you're worth. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. And then every difficult thing that happens, see, I told you, you weren't good enough. That's why you went through that because you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. And it's... It's amazing to me. I was in Austin. I don't even remember when. The days have just been. I was, I was preaching yeah, last Saturday. I was preaching last Saturday in Austin. And uh, got off the stage. And uh, people, you know, just pouring over. Blessed by the word. Blessed by the word. You know, compliments. And that's nice. But when I got back by myself, just said, I gave my voice to the voice that was inside my head telling me it just wasn't good enough, you know? And the Lord really had to deal with me because the enemy in his primary role is an accuser. And if you were a person like Rahab, she's an incredible woman. Because can you imagine the boldness she had to have to stand there in front of two men of God and push over top of all the limiting beliefs and lies that the enemy had told her that she wasn't good enough and that she deserved destruction. She pushed all of that down and had the nerve to reach for salvation 
and the nerve to reach for a better life. And she got it. She got it. She came all the way up because she, she refused the lie that she wasn't good enough. And I'm talking to five or six people. And I'll, I'll come and preach a whole service to five or six. The enemy's been telling you you're not good enough. Maybe you messed up too bad or too sordid of a past or too filthy or too broken or too far gone. And the Lord sent me in here today to tell you if faith will work for Rahab, it'll work for you. You have faith in the name of Jesus, in the gospel of Jesus, which is that Jesus hung on a cross to pay the penalty of our sin, to take on himself the judgment we deserved, and that he hung there and died in our place. But three days later, God raised him bodily from the dead and has made him the judge of the living and the dead. And he does not judge his own. If you are a part of the body of Jesus Christ by faith, you are a part of his own. If you are a part of the family of God by faith, you are a part of his own. And no matter what you've been through, he calls you good enough. He calls you accepted. He calls you in Ephesians, his beloved. He calls you the apple of his eye. He says, I've tattooed you on my hand. And that voice in your head has been lying to you. You can go as far as you want to go in your faith. You can come up, out, and all the way over in your faith. You hadn't blown it. You hadn't missed the mark. You hadn't messed up too bad that faith can't get you.